Hello, and welcome to AgeWise Health. I'm your host, Maggie Jess, Director of Nursing at Ameristaff Nursing Services. Today, I'm joined by female urologist, Dr. Priya Pathmanaman. Did I say that right? You did. Okay, good. I, I just wanted to make sure. Um, I know that you are known as Dr. P with your patients. Is that correct? That is true. Okay, that great. That is true. It was not <laughs> planned, but yes, it's most appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. P. I just kind of want to know about your background and why you got into urology. Okay, so I grew up in Michigan. I pretty much went away for most of my training. I was at NYU for medical school and residency. And then um, I skipped over to Vanderbilt for my fellowship. I was actually in Kansas City on faculty uh, for 10 years at the University of Kansas. I was the director of, um, I was the division, excuse me, division director. Um, and then I came to Beaumont about four years ago. Wow, okay. So you were originally from Michigan? Originally from Michigan. Oh, wow, and then you came home. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful. Well, we're so lucky to have you. Thank I'm you. I'm happy to be here. So. The big question is, what is incontinence? So incontinence is one of those words that, shockingly, some people just don't know what it means, but it's leakage. And that could be in the form of urine. That could be in the, in the form of stool. Um, of course, I'm a urologist, so I focus on urinary leakage. Okay. And that could be with activity. That could be when you don't expect it. That could be in your sleep. There's many different types of leakage. Okay. Um, as we're talking about leakage and things like that, going, how often should a patient or a client or myself be going per day? I don't know. I don't know the norm. What is the norm? So it's interesting. I think that when we're younger, we get in the habit of holding it. That starts at a very young age. And then um, speaking of women specifically, they whether they be someone in in the workforce or someone at home, they have so many other factors competing for their time that they put it off. And so it doesn't become such so apparent that it's a problem until they're much older and things are weaker. But ideally, it should be about every few hours while you're awake. Okay. Every three hours plus while you're awake. Okay. Um, as a doctor, I think you would probably share with me in this and being as busy as you probably are. When I worked in the hospital as a nurse, there were times where I was like, did I go to the bathroom yes, today? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I see that with pilots. I see that with lawyers. I see that with moms. Uh-huh. I see that with people on TV. <laughs> that, right? I see it with everybody. You have other things competing for mm-hmm. your time. Mm-hmm. And so it, the going to the bathroom gets pushed off. Right. Or you have someone knocking on the door and you're peeing, so you rush. Oh, That's geez. another big one. So you make it to the bathroom. <laughs> you go. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes people don't make it to the bathroom, and right. that's where they often come to see me. Okay. So that's the time to come see you, when you can't make it to the bathroom, or you're noticing at night, you know, oh, it looks like I leaked a little bit, something like that. I think part of the problem is people feel like they may be the only one struggling with urinary problems, and it's super common. So it doesn't have to be to the point that you're fully wet to come okay. see me. If you feel like things have changed, you are either struggling to open the door to get inside or you're doing your basic activities, whether that be physically active or just your normal everyday things, and you feel like your urinary symptoms are controlling your life, and limiting your ability to do the things or spend time with people, it's important to get it addressed. There's no reason to suffer. And at any age? At any age. Okay. Especially women who are postpartum. Yeah. So it 
it again, women struggle so much after delivery with the pain and the breastfeeding and the weight changes and the fluid fluctuations, but incontinence is common. After C-section, you're talking up 20% of women. Excuse me, after vaginal delivery, let's correct that. So, so in fact, after vaginal delivery, it's about 20%. After C-sections, it's up to 10 to 15%. It's not uncommon. Okay. Wow. So, you make it to the bathroom, you look down, and what color should your urine be? So, it should ideally be clear to pale yellow. Okay. Um, I've been working a 12-hour day. I look down, and it's orange. Do I call you? Do I call your office? Not necessarily. It okay. probably means you didn't drink enough. So I would hydrate. Okay. Okay. All right. Hydrate when <laughs> decaffeinated things, non-caffeinated okay. things. Okay. Um, why is it that I feel, as a female, um, I talk with my friends a lot about incontinence, um, but we don't, I know none of us have gone to senior urologist yet. I'm going to let you, everyone know my age. I'm 40 years old. Uh -huh. So... It, I think it's more of a common issue than we talk about. And why do you think that is? Well, I think it's social norms. I think people feel like some of these topics are voodoo and you're just not, or taboo. Um, voodoo is not the right word, we'll scratch that. I think some of these topics are taboo and they're embarrassed. Um, I think if people realized how common it is and how many of their friends are affected at all ages, and how many opportunities there are to help them and make things better, people would be much quicker to come forward. Okay. So specifically, you know, women are two times more likely than men to have incontinence. Up to 45% of women internationally have incontinence. It's a problem. So if you look at sort of just age and changes with age, yeah. after 35, certain forms of incontinence get worse. And then when you get into mid-50s, another form of incontinence starts to get worse. Oh, so things to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so after I had my son, um, a colleague of mine looked at me and said, do your Kegels. That, that'll help you. What do you say to someone who just says, do your Kegels? Well, I'm a big proponent of pelvic floor physical therapy, okay. first of all, and for many different things. And people feel that the only thing that means is Kegels. So right. it is a specialized field. And when you have a talented physical therapist, it can make all the difference. So I think that it's important that you do seek help and they can direct you to someone who's skilled in that area because sometimes Kegels are not the right thing to do. Right. You know, often, yes, in that age group, it's stress incontinence that women are dealing with. Okay. And Kegels is a way to strengthen the pelvic floor. Okay. But there's many more aspects to physical therapy. And sometimes, if the issue is not stress incontinence, for example, Kegeling will make it worse. Okay. Um, I know we've kind of touched on postpartum and things like that, but what are some other factors that can influence your urological health? So some of the things that we should be doing regular screening with our primary care doctor, for example, diabetes. Diabetes is very common as, as a comorbidity that can affect urinary function. Um, over time, people can develop incontinence. They can develop difficulty emptying their bladder. Similarly, sleep apnea is a big one. Sleep apnea can cause more frequency of urination, um, more getting up at night to pee these type of issues, and people don't realize that there's a whole hormone cascade that goes on with sleep apnea yeah. that is affected that causes those issues. Okay. Another big one is simple things, like people's behavioral choices, how much caffeine they drink. 
caffeine is a huge bladder irritant. And by doing so, people are feeling like they have to urinate more often. You know, and with that frequency, there's also a diuretic effect. So meaning caffeine acts like a water pill. So in fact, it's dehydrating. It causes you to lose the water more and your body's not able to absorb the fluid that it needs. And in the process, it's actually more dehydrating. Also timing of when you drink. So people sometimes will say, well, I drink a lot in the morning and then I drink a lot before I go to bed. Or I drink, my mouth is dry, so I drink all night. Well... If you, it's, it's like plumbing, what goes in will come out. <laughs> right. So, yeah. We hope, yes. So that will keep you up at night. Okay. Um, while we're talking about that, you know, what you drink, your lifestyle, things like that. So, and then from a different aspect, your hormones, what's inside you, how does that affect your urological function? So I think the most common thing as our national population is aging, right, we... Everybody talks about estrogen and testosterone and how they may supplement or not supplement and the risks associated with it. As women get older, the estrogen levels drop. And estrogen is not just good for superficial things like our skin. It's very important in our pelvic floor function and support. And so as the estrogen levels stop, things get weaker. Women develop something called genital syndrome and menopause. And with that, they get more thinning of the vaginal epithelium, which can be they will complain of, say, pain or dryness with intercourse, but even if they're not terribly sexually active, they will. They can be more prone to infections. They get more frequency to urinate, more urgency to urinate, more general urinary discomfort, and sometimes they'll just say, when I sit, it's uncomfortable. With oh, that, of my. course, in the menopause, we're already dealing with hot flashes and fatigue and weight gain, yeah. so this is just another, you know, cherry on top people, when people right. are dealing with, but can be helped if they come in and get help. So a parallel to that, of course, is andropause, which men deal with. So as testosterone levels drop in men, they will um, have symptoms of more fatigue, trouble concentrating, redistribution of weight. And with that, they can also develop changes that are associated with some of their urinary symptoms. Okay. I've seen on television lately more incontinence products for the older female and male. So have you noticed, I mean, it is kind of a taboo at times, I would say, between the ages of 35 and maybe 55, but have you noticed people coming to you and seeking help in that area of possibly 55 and older? Absolutely. I think a lot of people wait until, like you said, the children are out of the house. They are at the point where their pad usage is so significant that they don't know what to do. Or they finally are making time for themselves. And they say it's not, sometimes it's a new problem, but most of the time I've had this problem for a long time, it's getting worse. Or for example, I had this type of incontinence and now I have this type of incontinence Mm -hmm. or they don't realize they're different types. They just say, I was leaking like this and now this is happening and I don't know what to do. Um, And so many of the times the way they're dealing with that is they're just buying more pads or more briefs. Right. And I have people that are coming in saying they're using a case of briefs a day. Oh. And I can't imagine. I mean, they can't leave their home. They lose contact with their friends. It affects their intimate relationships. If they have any professional aspirations, they feel like that also limits them. And so it really, it, it affects people on so many levels. And it doesn't need to. Right. When you had mentioned earlier menopause and andropause for men, Do you think that some people look at that as, well, this is just 
just part of what I'm going through. I don't need to talk to a physician. I don't need to see a urologist. Well, that's the problem. We, perhaps by our grandmothers or great I don't know what generation has said, well, women leak when they get older. And so therefore <laughs> they say, well, I, I, this is just what it is. This is what I have to endure to be a woman, but that's just not true. Uh -huh. Because we have it more commonly does not mean we have to take it. We are lucky to have many, many good options for treatment and management. Yeah, it's, it's knowing that treatment and management. I would agree with you. I, I've had seasoned nurses tell me, any woman that's over 70 that tells you they're not incontinent is lying. And I'm like, it's pretty I didn't, and I didn't even think about that. I thought, oh, you're probably right. And they just deal with that. That's so sad. So what are some common practices as females we can adapt now to help us possibly, you know, not be so incontinent when we're older? So there are many factors that lead okay. to incontinence, but simple things. It's our general checkup with our primary care is important. Some of these things, like I said, like diabetes, mm -hmm. heart disease, other chronic diseases affect your overall health. They cause increases in weight. Increases in weight can cause more incontinence. They cause fluid retention. Fluid retention, of course, affects all of these factors can affect urinary function. Okay. Um, it's important to look at your fluid intake and what types of things you're drinking. There is a lot of consumption of sugared beverages, caffeinated beverages, monster drinks, Red Bull. These things are not bladder happy. Just not. <laughs> That's a great way to yeah. put it, bladder happy. I like just, that. Similarly, some people, interestingly, you find people that drink a lot of carbonated beverages are really, their bladder, get, they get a lot more frequency. So a yeah. lot of these sugar, not sugar, but fake sugar, uh -huh. uh, Stevia, Stevia, equal, whatever. Um, equal, those are bladder irritants. Okay. Um, and more importantly, some of these carbonated waters. Yeah. They they may have no Stevia, none of that, but just right. the carbonation alone in some cases are very irritating to some women. Wow. So I hate to say the you know age-old saying of just basic water. It's not yeah. a bad thing. Yeah, don't um, drink but, your you calories. Know, I'm not, by no means am I discouraging people from drinking everything besides water, but it's just right. that when caffeine and artificial things make up a majority of your fluid intake, it, you you're usually don't fare well in the urinary department. Right. Okay. Well, I'll stick to water after I have this coffee. <laughs> um, so what would someone expect when they come and see you if they have incontinence? Um, what are some questions you would kind of ask? What are some testings? And then kind of what's your solution? So... The most important thing is what is it? What type of leakage is it? Okay. Um, and how is it affecting them? And okay. when I say how is it affecting them, I go from what are they drinking, how much, and when. What are the type of urinary symptoms they have? Okay. When does it happen? Where does it happen? And how much do they think it affects them? And if they have multiple urinary symptoms, it's very important to understand which affects them the most okay. because that's what you try to treat first. Um, and so if you talk about treatments, you know, this is, uh, so go back for a second. Um, so in addition to those questions, we also want to know in detail sort of how many pads they're using. Are they thick and thin? We want to know okay. about their medical history, their surgical history, of course. 
Um, have they had children? If so, what form of delivery? Were there any complications? Family, so did his, family associated history, all of that. Okay. And then we talk about treatments. It's important to know what it sort of is based on what the problem is. Right. And so if in general terms, we talk about stress incontinent and incontinence and urge incontinence. And okay. then, of course, difficulty emptying your bladder, right. not being able to empty your bladder. Yes. And another common one people come in with are recurrent UTIs, recurrent urinary tract infections. Okay. Um, and so if I was to define for general terms, stress incontinence is leakage when people are coughing, laughing, sneezing, lifting. Sometimes they'll say it occurs during orgasm. Sometimes they'll say it's when they're jumping with their kid on the trampoline. Okay. That's stress incontinence. Urge incontinence is the classic, I'm washing dishes and I feel like it's coming. Or I feel like I got to go and I can't make it. I get to my door, I'm coming home from work, and I start to turn the keys and I don't think I can make it to the bathroom. That's urge incontinence. Okay. Many women have a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, all right. Lots to lots to go over, which is it's really good because I think a lot of females don't talk enough about it, and they don't know the difference between stress and urgence, or it's all kind of the same. It's hard to so differentiate you, sometimes. Yeah. Okay. And so then, um, if I have stress incontinence postpartum, what would be a treatment, just as an example? So, of course, a majority of postpartum leakage yeah. acutely resolves. Okay. Um, there are women, many women get stress incontinence, and okay. so if it doesn't resolve, I usually will encourage them to do pelvic floor physical therapy first. Okay. And just look at their overall habits, and again, that's a common time where women don't have time for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, they're putting off urination, they've developed some bad habits, Tried to straighten all those things out first, of course. Okay. Another huge one that I have not mentioned is constipation. Constipation heavily affects urinary function. And okay. so, and that's a common thing. Any GI doctor will say that many, many, many Americans are constipated. <laughs> and so what is constipation? I say you need to have a soft poop every day. Every day. Every day, uh-huh. soft poop. Okay. If you're not, something we can fix. Yeah. And that can help. Wonderful. Um, but yes, with pregnant women, I would say the most important thing is first trying to sort of ride out and give their things a chance to heal. Okay. Pelvic floor physical therapy, which can start even you know soon after. Okay. And then beyond that, after about six months, say nine months, if things still haven't gotten better, the discussion really becomes, are you still planning on having more children? Where are you in the whole fertility okay. aspect of your life? And, and what are the treatment options? And so it could be anything from, like we said, pelvic floor physical therapy. Yeah to, as you get older, for anybody with stress incontinence, um, is something called bulking injections. Okay. Term for that is called bulkamid, where we go in with a camera, and it can be done in the office oh. with local numbing. Um, nice. It works immediately. It's effective for a long time. Okay. And then beyond that is something called slings, which okay. we can either use artificial tissue or your own tissue. Okay. All right. So now... On the opposite side of that, you're a female, you're 80 years old, you've had two kids, and you are just incontinent all the time, all day, every day. You're going through pads, blue pads um, in your bed, Um, you're wearing a diaper, you're going through it, it is affecting you socially, you can't go out, Um, and you're just, you know, UTIs, you're having infections back to back to back, in and out of the hospital. What does a treatment look like for someone that comes to see you with that issue? So the biggest problem with that is that yeah. when people are incontinent that way, they're more likely to try to go to the bathroom more often or at night, and they fall. 
and they fall and they get a hip fracture. And then they end up institutionalized, they get pneumonia, and we have a poor course. So it is a huge problem in the elderly with incontinence when they don't get to get to see somebody Um, but the first thing just like what we talked about with any other woman is the history is what type of incontinence when is it happening what is the biggest issue okay and then again the stress incontinence is the same approach with behavioral modification physical therapy and our other treatment options then we talk about urgency and urgent incontinence again behavioral modification then we have medication options if um, people had read, there was a period of time where people worried about certain medications increase the risk of dementia over the age of 65. Okay. But that does not by any means mean all of the meds. So people okay. shouldn't be scared to come. We have many options. Right. And then beyond that, we have uh, three different neuromodulation type concepts. Oh. And what that basically means, as the word says, neuro and modulation, it's a way to affect the nerves that help with bladder function. So we have three methods. One is an acupuncture type concept in your ankle. And in fact, the needle's smaller than acupuncture needle, so you don't feel it. They come in, they bring a book, they sit for 30 minutes, and they do that for 12 weeks. And if they like it, they do it every month. All of these things are covered by insurance. Um, Another is something called Botox, which is injected into the bladder, which is not absorbed. So like the acupuncture concept, it is not something that has systemic effects. Uh, Botox does have a small risk of difficulty emptying. And so we talk about that, but most people really like it because last six months. And then there's something called sacral neuromodulation, which okay. is beautiful because it lasts for a long time. We're talking over 15 years. Oh, and wow. the nice thing about it is it is a little device that's implanted, uh-huh. but it's MRI safe. You can go through airport security. It is Good. pretty much a, a great thing without limiting what it used to limit. So there's been a huge improvement in the technology associated with it. Oh, wonderful. It's nice to know there's options. Lots of options. Especially getting back to just your normal daily living at that age, you know? And if you were, I would say, part of what drew me to this field is what a huge impact it makes on people's quality of life. Definitely. I think people think, oh, well, if it's not cancer, it's not important. Yeah. And the reality is it's so important because it affects so many decades of people's lives. Absolutely. And I really like that you really touched on treating the whole, finding out what's going on. What is your history? What have you been doing? How often? I think at times we jump into, well, I'm just leaking. Well, what have you done differently? What do you drink? How often do you drink? I mean, finding out every single thing about the patient, I mean, it's just, it's nice to know that we're on that path. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know, a common one, one of the most common diagnoses is recurrent UTIs, urinary tract infections. Now, vaginal estrogen is so undervalued by the pharmaceutical companies, by society. It makes a huge difference in in women's overall comfort with and without intercourse as far as their urinary symptoms, their vaginal health. In fact, studies have shown that vaginal estrogen cream, when compared to medications for leakage, not only fared equally, but often better. And so there has been this fear when you hear the word estrogen that somehow it's absorbed and it's going to cause cancer, heart attack, clots, death. But vaginal estrogen is not absorbed systemically. So it doesn't increase the risk of those things. So so many women could prevent infections Mm -hmm. by using the vaginal estrogen cream. Then, of course, like you said, basic conversations, such simple things as how do you wipe? What type of soap are you using? How often do you shower? Do you have, do after intercourse, are you peeing? Right. Things of this sort. Yep. It's the little things. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned earlier a lot about physical therapy. Mm-hmm. 
So is that something that patients uh, can do in their home? Do they come in to do that? Do they go to a center for that? How does that work? So we are lucky that Beaumont, Corwell, um, Corwell East, or known as William Beaumont Hospital, where I am in Royal Oak, um, we are internationally known for our pelvic floor care. Specifically, we have a center where women who have had challenges that have not been met by other physicians will often come to us as a last resort. And we have a physical therapy program that extends all over the state, and we have locations. It's exceptionally helpful. Um, it is important to really do it with someone who's certified and had the pot correct training. Yeah. Because what they will do, they'll start you typically once a week, and you'll do somewhere between six and eight weeks. And then once you've completed that, they will teach you exercises you do on your own at home. Oh, wonderful. You know, during COVID, we were unfortunately very limited. People did do, you know, some of these things online, or they did it right. through videos. It's not ideal. And I know they had no choice during COVID. Yeah. But now it's it's really important for them to get into someone who's properly trained. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's that's this is quite the niche, and you really need to know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and they get better results if they yeah. go to someone who knows what they're doing. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been enlightening. Uh, I think every female that will watch this will feel very empowered to come and see you. I hope come so. Come talk with you. Um, you know, incontinence is something we need to kind of talk about, especially with females, and not be shy about it. So thank you so much yes. for your time today. Thank you for making the time. It's Absolutely. been great. That concludes our show today. Like I said, I'm your host, Maggie Jess, Director of Nursing and Ameristaff Nursing Services. If you have any questions about today's show, please feel free to call 248-288-2270. Thank you. Stay safe and healthy.